The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Make It Kind. M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. I think the tragedy is that uh, we have a Congress uh, with a Senate that has a minority of misguided senators who will use the filibuster to keep the majority of people from even voting. They won't let the majority of senators vote. And certainly they wouldn't want the majority of people to vote because they know they do not represent the majority of the American people. Wow. Words of Dr. King on this day after the holidays, speaking about the filibuster actually on Meet the Press, in July of 1963. Ladies and gentlemen, good day after Ronald the King Day to you all. Hope everyone had a wonderful Martin the King Jr. weekend. If you did not have an opportunity to download yesterday's show with the Dean of the Morehouse School of Religion, Dean Joseph Evans, on his new book, The Polished King, I would strongly encourage you to do so because he talks about the new theology that Dr. King brought into being between 1955 and 1968. Just, just uh, 13 years. That's all. Just a mere 13 years uh, he had to make the difference he made in America. Some of us this Tuesday morning are headed to Washington, D.C., where we are going to go to the Senate to demand our voting rights, that something be done about this filibuster. We're not giving up. We know what Kirsten Cinema has said. What she has said is despicable. She is, in fact, that a white uh, moderate liberal that Dr. King talked about in the letter from the Birmingham jail. And yet she was tweeting this weekend about celebrating, even yesterday, about celebrating Dr. King's birthday. Unbelievable. Many went to Phoenix, Arizona over the weekend as well to be heard, including... Martin Luther King III, our friend and brother. Here he is on MSNBC. Why Arizona? Why here today? Well, Arizona, in one sense, is uh, near ground zero. I say near because, unfortunately, there are 19 states that have passed regressive laws, including our own state of Georgia. And we believe that as it relates to getting this, uh, these bills passed, that um, Senator Sinema 
has been one of the challenges. And so it made sense to come to Arizona. Some regressive laws we feel have been put in place that make it harder for people to vote. Senator Sinema took to the Senate floor there and she fiercely defended her position on this, saying that her fear would be that if Republicans were to take the Senate majority, that there would be a reversal and that they would pass even more stringent voter ID measures. They could even roll back all mail-in voting here. When you heard her floor speech, what was on your mind and what is your response? Would, would you like No, you can go. Okay. First of all, I was just greatly disappointed that you stand in the way and have the gall to not realize that what is being done in all of these states, it's about the filibuster, and yet every last one of these states that have passed these regressive laws have done it with all Republican legislators, not bipartisan. Dr. Martin Luther King III speaking about uh, Kirsten Sinema during his father's birthday weekend. Uh, he also spoke more directly to Kirsten Sinema while in Phoenix. Senator Sinema says if the voting rights bill doesn't get bipartisan support, it shouldn't pass. Well, the 14th Amendment, which granted citizenships to slaves in 1868, that didn't have bipartisan support. Should formerly enslaved people have been denied citizenship? Senator Sinema, the 15th Amendment that gave formerly enslaved people the right to vote in 1870, that didn't have bipartisan support. Should former slaves have been denied the right to vote, Senator Sinema? I'm just applying her logic here and showing that it's not logical at all. Martin Luther King III also speaking about Kirsten Cinema over the course of the weekend. Um, this, in fact, has been a momentous weekend. People are gathering, people are mobilizing the glaring contradiction, the antithesis that Cinema and Manchin, Manchinema pose to what Dr. King stood for is glaring. We also heard from Yolanda King, the 13-year-old granddaughter of Martin and Coretta Scott King. Fighting for voting rights is about fighting for the right to participate in democracy, a movement my grandfather led many decades ago. But it's, but it's also about all the other issues that affect all of us, climate justice, reproductive justice, LGBTQIA plus justice, and so much more. We will not stop organizing to get this done. But for all the elected leaders out there who are tweeting, posting, and celebrating my grandfather, Dr. King, today, my message to you is simple. Do not celebrate, legislate. The Senate must do the right thing when this legislation comes to a vote tomorrow. Senator Cinema, Senator Manchin, our future hinges on your decision, and history will remember what choice you made. So join me in demanding action for today, tomorrow, and generations to come. There were, that was again Yolanda King, the granddaughter of Martin and Coretta Scott King, 
Martin Third's daughter, Martin and Andrea King's daughter. More MIP after this message. There was there were a couple of great threads over the weekend too on Twitter. Um, Nicole Hannah Jones at N Hannah Jones started a thread this way. This is what she said. Nicole Hannah Jones of the 1619 Project. She wrote, I was invited to give an MLK speech today and a, and a small number of members of the group hosting me wrote and then leaked emails opposing my giving this speech as it dishonored Dr. King for me to do so. They called me a discredited activist, unworthy of such association with King. So I scrapped my original speech and spent the entire first half of it reading excerpts from a bunch of Dr. King's speeches, but without telling anyone that I was doing so, leading the audience to think King's words were mined. And woo child, it was amazing. And then she shared some of it. Now the audience thinks these are her words. Quote, it was in the year 1619 that the first black slave was brought to the shores of this nation. They were brought here from the soils of Africa and unlike the Pilgrim Fathers who landed here at Plymouth a year later, they were brought here against their will. And she went on to share some of these stories. For more than 200 years, Africa was raped and plundered, a native kingdom disorganized, the people and rulers demoralized, and throughout slavery, the black slaves were treated in a very inhuman form. The problems of racial injustice and economic injustice cannot be solved without a radical redistribution of political and economic power. And on and on. There are some, these are the same people today that now say to black people whose ancestors were brought to this country and change and who were emancipated in 1863 without being given land to cultivate or bread to eat, that they must pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. The fact is, there has never been a single solid determined commitment on the part of the vast majority of white Americans to genuine equality for black people. The white backlash of today is rooted in the same problem that has characterized America ever since the black man landed in chains on the shores of this nation. Why do white people seem to find it so difficult to understand that the black people are sick and tired of having reluctantly parceled out to them those rights and privileges which all other Americans receive upon birth? I never cease to wonder at the amazing presumption of much of white society, assuming that they have the right to bargain with black people for their freedom. Then Nicole Hannah Jones revealed that those were the words of Dr. King. When the speech was over, she wrote, Father Flager from St. Sabina Catholic Church in Chicago said, and he had been cheering me on from the crowd, whispered in my ear. That's what you call the you gon' learn today speech. <laughs> Nicole Han Jones went on to write, this is why the 1619 Project exists. This is why the decades of scholarship that undergirds the 1619 Project exists. 
Because if we do nothing, they will co-opt our history and use it against us. And then she added this article from the bostonreview.net. You can Google this, bostonreview.net. The title, Reagan used MLK Day to undermine racial justice. Reagan used MLK Day to undermine racial justice. And so this began the sanitization of Dr. King on the part of Reagan and the Republicans, the conflation of his activism with the ideology of colorblindness in which ignoring race is positioned as the only way to end racism. Reagan even tried to position himself as the inheritor of King's dream. They co-opted Dr. King, as a matter of fact. So this is why we fight today. The article goes on to say, as a public figure of white memorialization, King has become the de facto patron saint of colorblind ideology, historical memory, and radical political critique. Be damned. Now remember, that's why you hear so many Republicans try to co-opt Dr. King and say, oh, he was a Republican. In fact, Daddy King was a Republican. His father was a Republican. And on and on and on. And so this is what we really ought to be focused on and thinking about even during this King holiday. And as we take on this filibuster in the Senate today and this week, remember it was the King holiday that was filibustered by Republicans, in particular Jesse Helms. At first they wanted to say Dr. King was a communist and Reagan agreed. And then they decided to try to co-opt the memory and the legacy of Dr. King. More MIP after this message. There was another thread over the weekend, really toward the end of last week. Ellie Mistal of The Nation talked about the position we find ourselves in. And it was an epic thread as well. I'll lift up a couple lines from that. Ellie Mistal wrote, every time Dems fail... Somebody says, oh, if only we knew then what we know now, we might have done things differently. But the reality is that Dems never do things differently. We always have the same playbook and we always fall in exactly the same way. After winning power, thanks to overwhelming support from black and brown people, Dems immediately tacked toward the center mass of the white people who literally just got finished rejecting them. That's always matched with promise to work across the aisle and get Republican votes even though that party lost and even though they vow to act in bad faith and do everything they can to stop the incoming Democratic administration. Dems then either pass watered-down legislation or no legislation that is aimed at helping white economic concerns, upending the structures of racial injustice is left for year two, or done only at the margins through administrative rulemaking instead of sweeping legislation. Year two comes and the GOP is bitching about what the Dems did pass while the black and brown people again 
who put Dems in power have not seen their issues put front and center. But then Dems say putting those issues front and center is too divisive. Midterms come, Dems lose seat. Now they can get nothing done legislatively and the Democratic president is belatedly forced to use executive action, which can be easily overturned in a disparate action in a desperate action to seem like they're doing something. And the cycle repeats again and again and again. Some Democratic senator has made the scapegoat like a Lieberman, remember, or a Manchin today. But it all stems from a party DNA refusal to use maximal power immediately to support the black and brown base to put them in power. And then when we lose, when the best efforts of the non-white minority are not enough to overcome dedicated white opposition to fairness and equality, Dems blame progressives or identity politics or low black turnout for what happened. And that, that's what that we may, we understand this may be what is coming down the pike in 2022. Because why are we going to vote? What, what are African-Americans going to vote for? What is the incentive to vote? Because Ellie just described at Ellie, E-L-I-E-N-Y-C. You can read that. We had a watch night service for voting rights Sunday night, MLK Eve. And iconic speakers reverend jeremiah wright uh, reverend james forbes reverend ben chavis reverend willie wilson um bishop yvette flunder bishop ann henning byfield the hunger strikers who we had on the show last week in the clergy joe madison was there mark morial the urban league Derek johnson naacp virginia k salaman of the league of women voters the list goes on and on imams rabbis the president of the United Church of Christ, who tore it up, said, white man, white clergyman said by any means necessary, like Malcolm. And then we had Tamika Mallory and Linda Sarsu, and then we had Bishop Barber. And he kind of encapsulated a lot of what Ellie said and a lot of what we all are feeling right now. And so from that watch night service, I want to share with you Bishop Barber's words so that you might reflect on those. Here, picking up the mantle from Dr. King with the Poor People's Campaign, the last mission and project Dr. King was involved in before he passed away. A mentor to many of us on this Zoom tonight, this broadcast was Dr. John Henry Clark. And he said, when, if you're on chapter 13, when the leader is killed, you bury the leader, and then you move on to chapter 14. You don't become stagnant. And Bishop Barber has moved us on to the next chapter, picking up where Dr. King left off. Bishop William J. Barber joins us now. God bless you, Bishop. And, and thank you. First of all, let me just say how humbled I am to be with those who have engaged in this hunger fast. Uh, to my dear sister, Tracy Blackman, who contacted me always brother mark to you and so many others i know on this call we love you we thank god for you you know in my own time of fasting this week um some truths have jumped out at me i don't know if they're going to be popular for me to say but 
I really don't uh, care <laughs> mm. because I'm just coming out of COVID. You know, I've been talking about what does it mean to still be breathing for a few years? What does it mean if you're still alive? And, you know, what it means is when you have something that could kill you and you make it through it, you recognize that every breath is important and there's no need to play with truth. Let's talk real honest, y'all. This battle didn't just start this week. They gutted the Voting Rights Act in 2013, two, three years before Obama was out of office. We didn't fight like we should have been. Let's be real. Eight years, eight years, eight years. We went down to Selma, marched across the bridge, had a little ceremony when the gutted Voting Rights Act was gutted, June 25th, 2013. I know because on not too few days later, we began a massive voter suppression fight back against the voter suppression bill that we were told we couldn't win. Took us four years, uh, 30 lawyers, uh, 1,200 arrests, and we did win and proved intentional racism. But we were encouraged by democratic forces not to even fight for intentional, um, intentional racism. We were said to give in to voter suppression. This was back then, you know. Um, so let's, let's, let's talk about this for real. The other thing we ought to talk about is that this ain't no black issue. Martin Luther King never talked like that. He said the, ex, the free exercise of the ballot by black and white masses that threatened to shake up the economic architecture of the country was what the great fear was. Let's be clear that the ballot for the ballot is about who controls the ability to shape public policy that can then control the budget, which is $21 trillion a year, and the gross and, and excuse me, uh, excuse me, control the gross domestic product, which is over $21 trillion a year. It's always been economics and voting. Race is a part of it, but you miss it if you act like this is a special interest to black folk. If you say that the president ought to do something because black folk voted for him, this is a battle for the democracy, the sole democracy, and it's been with us since the beginning of this country when only white men were allowed to vote, white men with land. Let's just say the truth. Tomorrow, if things go, uh, if they pass these two bills on Tuesday, it's not going to be the end of the fight. These bills are compromised bills, and we have problems even with the bill. If they don't pass it, it's not going to be the end of the fight. What are y'all going to? What are we going to do? All going to die or something? Is God going to die on Tuesday? I mean, the Dred Scott decision came down May May night, eighteen fifty two. What did Frederick Douglass do? They just go high, say we're not going to be out of slavery. No, Frederick Douglass and them said. Maybe this is a necessary link in the chain of events um, that is the precursor to the downfall of the whole system. We, we can't even give the, the uh, uh, whatever happened on Tuesday, we can't make an idol out of that. Sure, it's bad, but it ain't the end of the world. It wasn't the end of the world when Dr. King lost in Albany. It wasn't the end of the world when um, separate but equal 1896, they, they went to work. They took that one dissent from Justice Harlan out of Kentucky, who by the way was white, and Charles Hamlin Houston began to build a legal case against it. Black and white lawyers, Christian Jews together, Muslims together. I mean, come on, we, we, if we're gonna walk in faith, then we have to make sure our language is not the, 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 the tail, i.e. the politician wagging the dog. Mm -mm. And also we gotta recognize <clears throat> that we gotta curse some of this stuff. I don't mean curse it in terms of vulgarity. 
Well, what's wrong with what's wrong with this country when we have not set aside John Lewis's bill? The original John Lewis bill was the For the People's Act. He wrote that with his dying breath. Now we've substituted that for the freedom to vote bill. And we don't have a freedom to vote, we have a right to vote. And inside of that bill, they have codified uh, a voter ID as a necessary part of voter integrity. And even if the bills get passed, none of the bills, the gerrymandering bills that have been passed before December 31st get grandfathered in. So they all stand. So the bill is not gonna address that. It's gonna address going forward. And the bill that we're talking about passing the freedom to vote that only addresses federal election. It doesn't, and we aren't being told this. It's like we can't handle the truth. The battle doesn't end either way on Tuesday, either way. And we we need to have some real conversation about where we are. And, and, and in a real sense, could it be God may not let us win because it's not right. This compromise and whatnot is far less than what ought to be. And so I was reading this week as I close. Joshua 6, 7, and 8. And I read it and it spoke to me prophetically and said, this is, we need to read it. The, the, the Joshua 6 is about the battle of Jericho. It was crisis. And, and the lesson Joshua 6 teaches us is that the battle outside determines how the walls fall on the inside. They marched first. They engaged first. There's nowhere in Joshua 6 that said they had a compromise session first and waited a year to see if the politicians in Jericho were going to open the gates. Because they didn't even want the gates open. They wanted the walls down. They wanted the obstructionism down because the obstructionism had no place in the land of the promise. And yes, they had to battle even in the land of the promise. Getting to the promised land is not the end of the battle. Many times it's just the beginning of the battle. And they had... You know, Jericho in some ways was, was wealthy and greedy. And what we have today is a kind of Jericho walls as 21st century voter suppression. But who is it backed by? The U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Let's stop playing with this. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is backing. They, they are against living wages. They're for voter suppression. That's who's behind Manchin and Cinema and those other eight moderate Democrats. And Dr. King said that moderates were the worst enemy of the civil rights movement. You can't talk about uh, challenging this and not wanting to challenge the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. You can't talk about this issue and not connect it to the issue of poverty and 140 million poor and low wealth people and the fact that poor and low wealth people now make up 45% of the electorate in battleground states, 30% of the electorate in other states. You can't talk about this issue with talk, without talking about in the last two months, billionaires have made $2 trillion while 8 million more people have fallen into poverty. Because that's what's going on in the midst of all of this. So in, Jer in Joshua 6, they marched because the wall had to come down. And the wall only comes down when they marched, when they agitated, when they shook consistently. One event, they didn't have a one-day march. They didn't have a two-day march. Ceremonial activism and politics and just doing stuff one time is not what brings the wall down. Joshua 6 says every day until the seventh day. And then on the seventh day, they intensify. What happens on Tuesday, whatever happens, we are in the seventh day season. And no matter what happens Tuesday, we must intensify. Intensifying, not compromising. That's what we need to do. Nonviolent, out front, intensification, not backroom, moderate negotiations. Now, I close with this. 
because this is the part some may not like. But the second lesson is in Joshua 6, 7. Because in Joshua 7, the, the people of Israel lose to a small city with a, just two letters, A-I. They lose to two letters, A-I. We lose to two senators, Manchin Cinema. They lose to two letters. How do two letters beat them when they just finished whooping Jericho? The only way AI wins is because there are some key leaders using the wrong tactics, according to the Bible. The Bible says that God says to Joshua, when Joshua comes on a, on a, on a prayer call crying about what are we going to do, God says, they aren't beating you, you're beating yourself. Somebody in your leadership is using the oppressor stuff. Somebody in your leadership is using the wrong tactics. Somebody in your leadership is in the back room hiding some stuff. Somebody is getting paid to change how you fight and, and, and telling you that you ought not fight like you fought against Jericho. God says to Joshua, I showed you how to fight and win in Jericho, but somebody in the leadership in your own camp is using the wrong tactics behind the scene. They're doing backroom politics. They got caught up in the money. I told you the way to change things was to be in the front room on the front street prophets, marching with your feet, putting your bodies on the line, and somebody is not really with the people, and I can't let you win using the wrong tactics. So Joshua clean up your camp, do an internal investigation as to why the sons and daughters of former slaves and all of our allies are losing to two people. Something else is going on. Something else is going on in the back room. And if Dr. King was alive, he would say, go back to Jericho tactics. Go back to Jericho tactics. Read the text. They, they were using Achan and another one had the wrong stuff. They got caught up in some silver, the Bible says, and some robes and, and loving to be in the back room. But if you want to win, go back to Jericho tactics. Let's put our feet, our bodies, our mouths together. Jericho tactics. Don't play games with mansion and money and corporation. That's AI tactics. We need Jericho tactics and the whole season of it, months of it, an entire year of it. And that's why on June 18, 2022, we're calling for a mass poor people's assembly moral march on Washington and to the polls. And we're not talking about an event or a day. We're talking about a declaration. And if it takes us 381 days, like it took them in Montgomery, the busting, if it takes us months, whatever it takes, if it takes mass civil disobedience all across this country, if it takes filling up every state house and every place in the, in the US Capitol, it's time to go back to Jericho tactics and expose the AI tactics. Because the AI tactics, you lose. But the Jericho tactics have never lost. And the walls always come down. God bless you. Woo! Dr. William J. Barber with a word for us. Amen. Dr. Barber from uh, Sunday night folks at our watch night for voting rights. And it all comes together today as we are converging on Washington, D.C., probably even as you are listening to today's broadcast. So stay tuned. And then tomorrow we'll report back on what we found, and what is going on. We may yet find out who is in those back rooms that Dr. Barber, that Bishop Barber just uh, spoke about. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, 
And wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.